Hello, you are watching an episode, a live episode of Deprogrammed on Carrie Smith. Deprogrammed with Carrie Smith, I'm sorry. I'm a little shaken up. I just had made a folks pox um, where I ended the other stream. So hopefully people have found their way over here. Um, if it's your first time here, this is a new channel. If the algorithm suggested this, uh, be sure you hit like and subscribe. And without further ado, please welcome Constantine Kissin, who got to see me make that mistake. Uh, good, good to be with you, Kara. As you can see, I'm not in my uh, in in the trigonometry studio. I'm at home. Uh, the lighting here is atrocious. This is why I look like a Bollywood's answer to Count Dracula. I'm looking vampiric and slightly Indian at the same time. <laughs> you actually look like my brother a little bit. So when I talk to you, I sometimes my I feel like I'm talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of chair is that? That looks like a gamer chair. It's a gaming chair. Yeah, I okay. I used to be a gamer in the days when I had time. That I used to I used to game. Now I just get the the paraphernalia and not not really use it. Nice. Well, uh, I really appreciate you being here live to talk with me. As I told you behind the scenes, uh, I'm kind of we're going to talk about. Ukraine and Russia. Mm. And I feel woefully uninformed about the subject. It's part of the reason I don't even talk about it much because I don't think I should. I don't know mm. enough about it. And and that's okay because I think a lot of people are in the same boat or um, maybe some people are in the same boat and they don't realize they're in that boat and they're still talking a lot about it. So uh, I wanted to bring you here because you have a unique perspective. You have family in both Russia and Ukraine, right? So I have a family in Russia, I have family in Ukraine, I have pro-Russian family in Ukraine, I have pro-Ukrainian family in Ukraine. Uh, most of my family in Ukraine on both sides of that divide are Russian speakers. So that will that will come in, uh, that will be important as we go on with the conversation because there's some things that are being uh, said about that. Uh, my father in the 90s, he was a minister in the Boris Yeltsin government. Uh, and his job was to deal with former Soviet countries like Ukraine. So he was heavily involved with negotiations uh, over uh, the, the port in Crimea, Sevastopol, which again, I think will probably come in, uh, not handy, but it'll be important as we go. And so, and my dad and I have different views of this, so I can give you the Russian view and I can give you the Ukrainian view and I, I can also give you my view depending on, on what you want uh, on, on the different issues. I mean, I'd I'd like to hear all of it. What? How does your dad's view differ from yours? Well, where do you want to start? Should should, should we give some kind of structure to? Well, well, yeah. Why don't we give structure? You sent me a video that was pretty informative. It was a colonel, a Finnish intelligence intelligence colonel, hmm. um, and there is a. We can drop that in the chat. There's a there's a version where they have subtitles, and there's one where they dub it. So if people want to listen to that, but he was sort of talking about what is the difference between Russian culture and Western culture, and how right. that plays into all of this. Is that a good place to start? I think the best place to start is to just go. What has happened in the last month? Okay. Why has that happened? And what happened before that? And then we can get into the cultural aspect. I think the cultural aspect will will come in very handy when we're trying to explain why things are seen differently and why things are understood differently in different countries. So, uh, on the twenty fourth of February, Russian forces. Uh, invaded Ukraine from three directions. So just as a very basic primer, particularly for an American audience, Ukraine is a country in Eastern Europe. It has a border with Russia. Uh, it is a country the size of Texas. 
uh, and it has a population of about 44 million people. So it's the size of Texas, but but considerably more populated than Texas. Uh, it is a country that is really split, not split, but it is it has a different background and different culture in, in the western part than it does in the eastern part. Uh, most people in, in central and eastern and southern Ukraine are, are Russian speakers. And most people in, in Western Ukraine are Ukrainian speakers. Now, these are very shorthand comments I'm making. There are lots of people in Western Ukraine who speak Russian. There are lots of people right. in Eastern Ukraine who speak Ukrainian. But just broadly speaking, that's the situation. So Ukraine is one of the countries that was uh, created in its current incarnation as a result of the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. Um, so what happened in, in a month ago, over a month ago now six weeks ago was russia invaded ukraine from the north from the east and from the south uh in an attempt to you know we can get into in, into what they're, they're attempting to do so that's why the conflict is happening because russia invaded uh this follows eight years ago in 2014 russia annexed the peninsula in the south of ukraine called crimea yeah. and it also i mean I'm trying to use diplomatic language because I've got my own interpretations of this, but the neutral way of putting it will be Russia-backed separatist movements in two regions in the east of Ukraine, which are collectively called the Donbass. Mm -hmm. uh, and in doing so, facilitated uh, a conflict there between separatists who wanted to not be part of Ukraine and uh, the rest of the Ukraine, which wanted to hold on to that part of its territory. So okay. this happened in 2014, which also obviously followed what had been happening previously since the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. Okay. Is this invasion happened something that you saw coming? Yes. It's not something I saw coming as in like I knew five years ago that on the 24th of February 2022, uh, Russia was going to invade Ukraine. But in 2014... Once Russia annexed a piece of Ukrainian territory, took a piece of Ukrainian territory and started a civil war in the east of Ukraine, you could say, it was very clear given the, the, the weakness of the response, both internationally and also from Ukraine itself. Ukraine really didn't contest uh, the annexation of Crimea. Uh, then it sort of woke up and started contesting what was happening in the east. It was very clear to me that there was no deterrent to stop Putin continuing further and he said at the time that his goal was to annex more of the land uh in and to make it part of russia as he would say again and this is where some of the debates that people are getting into can, can, we can get into ourselves mm -hmm. do you think that i've seen a lot of people speculate and say things like you know he didn't do this under trump for a reason he's doing mm. it under biden for a reason do you think that there's any merit to that that he Definitely. the timing is good Definitely. So we had a former Putin advisor, a guy called Andrei Larionov, on our show. And that's what he said. He said this 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 became a thing again. Uh, the reason he was basically waiting for Trump to, to, to be removed from office uh, and to be replaced by someone weaker so that he could do this. And, and I share that view very much. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? I mean, I'm just asking you to speculate. Mm. But what do you think about... Uh, about Trump, what was it about Trump that prevented this from happening? Then, was uh, it anything well, Trump, actively he was doing, or was it? Yes. Well, one of the things Trump was doing is is arming the Ukrainians. 
so he was giving them weapons. Uh, and Biden, I my understanding is Biden is not happy with the current president of Ukraine, President Zelensky, uh, because of his lack of cooperation with something that Joe Biden was trying to make happen in Ukraine. Um, not unrelated, I think, to Hunter uh, Hunter Biden and all of that. But it's not really to do with that uh, as much, in my opinion. So basically, Trump was extremely unpredictable. He was a very tough negotiator. Uh, so you didn't really know what you were going to get. But what you knew was if you cross him, you're going to get a strong reaction. And he was actively helping Ukraine defend itself in a way that uh, other presidents weren't necessarily doing. Mm-hmm. Part of uh, that video you sent me, and maybe this mm-hmm. isn't a good time to go into it. You just tell me. But I've heard also some people talking about how we need to understand that for Putin, this is all, this is in some ways a religious war or a holy war. Is there uh, merit to that? And at the beginning of that video, he's sort of talking about the ways in which Russians view author- ultimate authority coming from God. Yeah. Well, what he's talking about is the Byzantine part of, of Russian history. When the Eastern Roman Empire collapsed, what was then what we now call Russia, those territories became essentially the successors to the Eastern Roman Orthodox tradition. Uh, and so because of that period in Russian history, it is true Russian people think of their ultimate leader, the president or the czar or the, you know, the communist leader or what, 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 whoever is in charge, the Mongol Khan, Russia was occupied by the, 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 what we now call Russia was occupied by the Mongols for nearly 200 years. There is a feeling of this is someone who's infallible, unquestionable, etc. But religion doesn't, a religion is subservient in Russia to the state. Uh, so the the religion is and and the, all the paraphernalia of religion, the priests, the the patriarch of Moscow and all Russia, who's Kirill at the moment, they all they are officials of the state. They serve the state. So I don't buy the religious dimension myself very much. Uh, Vladimir Putin, I mean, he's he's a colonel of the KGB. He's the idea that this is a religious guy that goes to church and 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 goes to confession to me is 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 a little bit. Uh, is he <laughs> is he using religion though? Because yeah, he would be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, religion is definitely a way uh, that he's he is something that he uses to control the people for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. And and the role of the head of the Russian church, the patriarch of Moscow and all Russia, is to deliver solidarity and union among people for the leader. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. So but but the religious motivation isn't isn't the driving here, in my opinion, at all. I've seen and I know you have because I've seen you comment about it on mm-hmm. online, but I've seen some people who are. Well, everyone now, I think if they're not getting on board, we're being presented with these two, this false dichotomy, these two mm-hmm. options. It's like you either believe what the media is saying and a lot of a lot of the stuff that which seems like propaganda, like pro-Ukrainian propaganda, or you're pro-Putin. And I see people naturally kind of splitting into these these mm-hmm. two camps, even though I think I think it's being manufactured that we have to pick one of those two camps. And some of the people who are, you know. A lot of people are being accused of being pro-Putin and what have you. But I have seen people who um, seem to be, they they view him, what he's doing is not entirely negative because they, they've heard him talk about in some of his speeches like Western degeneracy and the culture wars and, you know, bringing, bringing religion into it. Do you think 
do you think that there's, do you think that's purposeful on his part that he's aware of this whole culture war that's happening in the West? And not only is he aware of it, he's been fueling it for for the last God know how God knows how many years. He wants there to be a culture war in the West. He wants to the see the way Russian propaganda works isn't to try and convince you that what you are being told is not true. And here's this other thing that is true. All they want is for there to be strife, for there to be discord, for there to be disagreement and for there to be internal cultural wars. So when Putin talks about J.K. Rowling or transgenderism or whatever, it's not because he cares about transgenderism or he cares about the cancellation of J.K. Rowling. He's using people in the West who are so obsessed with that issue. And I think those are important issues, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. as you well know. But he's using people who are, he considers useful idiots in the West. And, and he's pressing the buttons that he knows they like so that they would be either on his side or at least they would create some kind of discord in the West. And so people question the official narrative or whatever. That's his agenda. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I remember during the 2016 campaign, the presidential campaign, hmm. after during the whole Russiagate mess, one of the most interesting things I saw to come out of it was they were able to see that these these trolls were going online on Facebook and creating um, not, not just pro Trump stuff, which is the way the Western media tried to slant it and say, Oh, look, he's, he's pro Trump. They were creating competing events. They were creating black lives matter rallies yeah. at the same time as Trump things. And uh, you know, Michael Moore went to one of these things that yeah. was created by a troll. So are you familiar with a guy called Yuri Besmanov? Yes, I am. Right. Well, this is what he talked about. When he talked about demoralization, this is what he talked about. So what Putin is doing is simply a continuation of the Soviet playbook, which is you accelerate in, in, in the society you are attempting to destabilize the processes that would lead to its collapse or would lead to its weakening. So if you've got BLM on the one hand and you've got MAGA or on the other hand, you don't want one of those sides to win. What you really want is both of those sides to be hating each other and fighting some kind of war that you help amplify while you have the opportunity to do the things that you've always wanted to do. So, uh, but but let's go back to your point about Ukrainian propaganda or pro-Ukrainian propaganda versus the whatever pro-Putin. What's actually happening is uh, you've got, you, what you, you, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, I speak to people on the ground in Ukraine. I speak to people on the ground in Russia. I don't really know what people are talking about when they're talking about pro-Ukrainian propaganda. Uh, like most of the reporting I've seen, in my opinion, is pretty accurate. Uh, now, I have now you've got to understand, I haven't seen all the reporting that exists in right. the world. So you could be seeing something massively biased, and I, I just haven't seen it. But broadly speaking, I would say what you are being told about Ukraine Let's summarize it. Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, Russia is bombing cities. Russia's Russian soldiers have committed a large number of atrocities. Um, this is an aggressive invasion uh, that is initiated by Vladimir Putin. I mean, that is all accurate, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, but but what you've got is essentially, uh, you you know how skeptical I am about what the mainstream media in the West have been telling us for for the last God knows how, God knows how many years. And skepticism about what they're telling us is absolutely right. What I struggle with is why you would then believe Russian mainstream media instead. Right, right. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So so that's where I, I've had a problem with a lot of people who are going off the deep end. It's like, 
I agree with you, we shouldn't trust the mainstream media, but of all the media that we shouldn't trust, it's the Kremlin mainstream media, all of which is controlled and funded and staffed entirely by the Kremlin, entirely mm. by the people who run Russia, right? There is no independent media in Russia. They closed every single independent media outlet in Russia. So all the media you're getting out of Russia is what Vladimir Putin wants you to hear. Mm. Why would you believe that? You don't believe CNN. I get it and I agree with you. But what this is better? <laughs> this is part of why I feel uh, just so in the dark about because mm. and I know a lot of people watching probably do is like, I don't know. People are like, what do you where do you go to? You know, what do you trust? I know I know the sources I go to for stuff on, you know, the culture war in the, in the West. Yeah, I don't know what media to be listening to right now about this. And so again i'm very grateful you're here to talk about some of it but yes i've seen that that knee-jerk reaction happening where it's like well i know i don't trust the mainstream media in the mm. united states um and then people kind of i think that's a natural thing where uh, people have to fight against that tribalism thing of like well then i'm going to go to this corner well, part of it is fighting against the tribalism but partly is fighting against what you said earlier which is a false dichotomy mm -hmm. the fact that you don't believe everything the Western media is telling you, or let's say you have a healthy skepticism about it, doesn't mean that you should go and believe other things instead that are also the media. What that, what I think you should do is have a health, healthy skepticism of both and try and piece together information from people who speak the language, who have connections to the region. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about go and listen to interviews with former Putin advisors. Go and listen. You Go and listen to, uh, you know, John Mayersheimer, who talks about how this is all caused by the West. Listen to all of them and then try and make your own picture um, of, of that situation based on what you're hearing uh, instead of just regurgitating a narrative that you're being fed by one mainstream media or another. I've barely watched the mainstream media from a point of trying to inform myself about what's happening. I watch Russian propaganda and I watch Western media to understand what people are saying. Uh, mm. But I try to get my information from people on the ground, people who are involved, people who are in the area. And that's to me the most fun. And I watch a lot of obviously being able to speak Russian. I can watch people who are reporting what's happening on the ground where they are. Mm -hmm. So you said you hadn't seen a lot of propaganda. I just mm. wanted to ask you about a couple yeah, yeah. that that I saw. Mm. What about this Snake Island thing that yeah. they were pushing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, all of that bullshit. I never retweeted any of that. I never bought into mm. it because what happens in a war, Carrie, is people are going to make shit up on both sides because they want to they wanna seem to be winning. They want to seem – they want to myth they, – they create a mythology, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and yes, you, I've, I've forgotten about that. That was definitely propaganda and it was complete BS. And it was quite obvious from the beginning that it was BS. Um, is that material to what's going on? Mm. Like they made up a story about these 13 soldiers telling a Russian ship to go F itself and then got killed. Actually, it turns out they didn't get killed. Is that material to the situation? Is that a piece of uh, deceit that is fundamentally significant to the to the war in ukraine i would argue not right i'm not saying it's a good thing but in war you're going to get wartime propaganda to try and 
to try and bond the country together to create some kind of fighting spirit. That would have happened in World War II. It would have happened in Vietnam. It would have happened in every war in the history of humanity. Right. The cre the creating of mythology to Absolutely. to rally, to rally yeah. the public. Yeah. I saw another video that was going around of a little girl screaming at some soldiers, and they were saying this was in Ukraine, but it was it was like a twelve year old video from Palestine. You know, right. and yeah. those things. It's a bit like it makes me think of actually the OJ trial. It's like mm. this guy's guilty, but we're gonna we're gonna plant evidence just to make sure we get him. <laughs> like you don't yeah. need that. Don't plant the evidence. Yeah, no, yeah. No, don't no, create the mythology. Yeah, and and you can focus in on these small things, and you will see that Russia is doing exactly the same. And you because they're, they're two countries at war, they're going to do this. Should Western media be uncritically reporting this? No. Absolutely not. And I think it was a mistake. And when like we were doing a raw show on trigonometry and someone brought up the Snake Island thing and I hadn't seen the story. So I was like, well, if that's true, it sounds like well done to them or whatever, or they're brave men or whatever. But but I had like a feeling that this is probably BS. So, yes, those individual clips that people in the West uncritically shared and stuff. I agree with you. That is propaganda and it's stupid for them to have shared it. But I think what you've got to do is think about how important that is to the broader context of what mm -hmm. is actually going on on the ground. The fact that somebody posted a video alleging that 13 soldiers, instead of surrendering, told the ship to go off itself and, and were killed, is that does that really alter the reality of what's happening in Ukraine? The fact that someone's posted footage of a little girl that's not from Ukraine, does that really mean that atrocities aren't being committed in Ukraine? Because mm -hmm. we also have thousands and thousands of accurate videos showing that they are. We have reports from international organizations showing that they are. We have video footage that's verified by every international organization and by video footage and by satellite imagery, etc. So the fact that that one piece wasn't true, which I completely agree with, and in a wartime, as I said, it's going to happen, does not mean that you then throw away everything else. You have to look at both and go, OK, well, we discard this, but let's have a look at this. Mm -hmm. So I see people in the chat mm. bringing this up, and this is one thing I told you beforehand as well. Mm. The only other person I've interviewed about this was um, Lee Stranahan, and he was talking a lot about Ukraine and uh, Zelensky's ties to Nazism, and and there's <laughs> there are I, <laughs> hey. You might laugh, but there are people who don't know anything and we don't know whether to laugh or not. And he laid out a pretty compelling history of the Ukraine and how these yeah. different. So what did he say? Because I don't know this guy. He could have said something that you're presenting in a succinct way. And now it sounds ridiculous, but actually he made some good points. Uh, and so what exactly did he say? Because I'm happy to to have that conversation. So he talked about um, Banderites. Are you familiar uh, with Bandera? Yes, Stepan Bandera. Bandera. Yeah. yeah, and he said Bandera, and I'll, yeah. and I looked this guy up afterwards. Was yeah. an actual Nazi. He was he and... was a Ukrainian fascist collaborator with the Nazis. Slightly different, okay. but absolutely, yeah. Okay, and so he he basically talked about how there are all these loyalists, these Banderites, who are operating in the government, and that they've even though Zelensky himself is jewish hmm. that he's sort of a i'm paraphrasing i don't want to put words in his yeah, mouth yeah that's fine but but the way me a dummy what i took from that conversation was that 
that he's sort of propped up by these pro uh, Banderites, this these okay. Bandera. So, so that is bullshit. But let's let's get into it from from the beginning. Okay, so let's steel man the argument as strongly mm -hmm. as we can. Uh, so, where does does Ukraine have a history of having Nazi collaborators? Absolutely, yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about where that comes from and its influence in Ukraine today. So. Uh, Bandera was uh, um, uh, the leader of a Ukrainian nationalist organization in a part of Ukraine that was not even Ukraine until 1941. What happened is, and this is something people in the West don't know or haven't been educated about, is do you remember when uh, Hitler and Stalin signed the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, the, the, the non-aggression pact? This was a treaty between Stalin and Hitler, which essentially said that the Soviet Union would not attack Hitler and Hitler would not attack the Soviet Union, right? Okay. And part of the reason they did this, so that was the official reason, but they also had some secret protocols underneath that document in which they split Eastern Europe between themselves. And so when World War II, do you remember how World War II started? It started with Nazi Germany invading Poland, right? Okay. What most people don't know is at the very same moment, the USSR invaded Poland from the east and they split the country in two, okay? Now, when Eastern Poland became Western Ukraine, within a piece of that Eastern Poland, now Western Ukraine, Soviet Ukraine, there's a piece of that called Volin in Russian, we call it. I think in the English it's called Volinia. And in that part, there was this nationalist Ukrainian movement. There were about 1% of the population. They were absolutely 100% fascists. They weren't just people who were fighting for Ukrainian independence. No, no, they were fascists. They were 100. They wanted exactly the same thing as Hitler wanted. They wanted to eliminate the Poles. They wanted to eliminate the Jews. And during World War II, when Hitler eventually invaded the Soviet Union, the the, the thing that these people did, the these so-called Ukrainian nationalists, is they spent most of the time killing the Polish and the Jewish population of that region and killing Soviet partisans who were trying to fight the Nazi force. So these people who we're talking about, they absolutely existed in what in 1941 became part of Soviet Ukraine. Mm. Okay. So that is the history of it. They were never a massively influential movement in Ukraine at all. Um, now, are there still people who share that view? Absolutely. There are those people. They, uh, but if you want to talk about, you've got an, ever so the, the best thing to understand anything is in context, right? What is the context here? The context here is we're talking about Eastern Europe. Now, I, as a Jewish person who from the Eastern Europe can tell you, it is a very anti-Semitic place, just historically speaking. Ukraine, of all the Eastern European countries, has probably the least anti-Semitism of any okay. of those parts of the world. So when we're talking about, you've got to understand, for Ukraine to elect a Jewish comedian president was more significant in terms of race relations than it, than it was for the United States to elect Barack Obama in wow. 2008, right? That was how big it was and how, how far the country had moved. Ukraine has a, a number of far-right parties, which collectively, I think, got about 2 or 3% of the vote at the last election, right? Mm -hmm. So they're, they're insignificant and irrelevant. Uh, are there a small minority of people in Ukraine who are uh, pro-Bandera? Absolutely. Are there a small minority of these people who are fighting in the Zov battalion? Absolutely. Are some of them neo-Nazis? 
absolutely but by eastern european standards <laughs> that country is about as as um as has made about as much progress as any country in the region now contrast this with russia where ultra nationalists uh, i posted a video on my twitter there's a guy called dmitry ragozin he was the former deputy prime minister of russia deputy prime minister and he's now head of the russian equivalent of nasa right okay. who is on camera talking about how we have to purge moscow of these chechen whatever and doing a nazi salute saying hail russia right but that isn't being reported in the media do you know why because all of this stuff about how the ukrainian and the nazis is coming straight out of russia today it's pure russian propaganda so what they're doing is they're taking something that is a tiny bit true and they're inflating it into a whole narrative and it's not only for western consumption they've seen how calling people nazis is effective in the west in the last six years right we know this so that's why they're throwing it in the west but it's also very powerful in russia because one of the key myths and i don't mean myth as in it's untrue i mean myth as in a thing that that has a mythological importance to people in russia and, and in entire soviet union including ukraine uh, is the idea that we defeated nazism right which we did uh, you know the soviet union lost 20 million people fighting the nazis and without the soviet union sacrifices hitler would never have been defeated so it's absolutely true but so what they're doing is they're buying into our western idea oh nazis you know everyone's a fucking nazi nazis are everywhere and also feeding the same narrative internally because it works internally mm -hmm. as well so zelensky is not some kind of nazi puppet or anything like that at all uh the influence of the far right in ukraine is minor i'm not saying it doesn't exist it absolutely exists and th and those nazis will want you to think that they're more powerful than they are because they're trying to create some kind of base right they want people to think that they're calling all the shots and whatever um that isn't what's happening at all they're a minority uh of of the country i am a jewish dark-skinned person with a russian passport i've traveled every part of ukraine east west south center north i've never had any issue whatsoever and if this was a country that was run by nazis i'd imagine i would have had some problems do you see what i'm saying mm -hmm. and this yeah. is a country i've been going to for 20 years uh several times a year i've never met a single person who who expressed those views to me now in every society carry as you know there's going to be people who are racist there's going to be people who are extremists there's going to be people who are violent there's people who are nazi sympathizers but it's a tiny minority and of course you and you could point that at any country are there are there nazi and far-right uh sympathies in france yes in britain yes in america yes and if all you need is that little bit of truth to then create a massive narrative well you're going to have it in every country so who is this Zelensky guy how did he go from being a comedian to being right. the president like well the first thing to say is he wasn't actually a comedian most people at least not a stand-up comedian so the, the, we've got to get the, the the language clear as, as a former stand-up comedian myself okay. as, as you someone who used to manage them uh so he was the leader uh of a sketch group and oh that's yeah that's down here in stand-up <laughs> Well, right. <laughs> okay. uh, but but in, in, in the Soviet Union, it wasn't it was very much the other way around. So we didn't have stand up comedy, really. But what we did have is a is a all Soviet competition called KVN, uh, the club 
of the witty and creative. That's that was the thing. And it was basically a competition between people from different countries within the Soviet Union uh, to do sketch shows, improvised comedy, stuff like that. And it was massive. It was gigantic. And so he was the leader of one of these improv groups or sketch groups or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and once Ukraine became independent after 1991, uh, that group became the number, he became literally the number one entertainer in the country. He was on TV all the time. Uh, and he then created uh, something called uh, Quartal Divinostapet, uh, Quarter 95 is, is a translation, which was a TV sketch show about politics and culture in Ukraine and in Russia. Uh, he then also became, and he, I think he was involved in running a TV channel, part of which he was responsible for, uh, and he was extraordinarily successful. So he was, um, he paid the most taxes of any Ukrainian entertainer for like years in a row. So he, he, he was making a lot of money and very successful in doing that. Mm -hmm. And then he got involved in, in the TV stuff. So he's basically a TV executive and, uh, the guy who was the leader of this, uh, sketch group. Okay. Uh, which was ridiculous. I can't like, like he's the Jerry Seinfeld type level for Ukrainian standards, I suppose, or Chris Rock or whoever you want to, maybe not anymore. <laughs> not after he got slapped. Uh, that's, that's kind of what, that's his background. And then what happened is he wrote and starred in a, a series. Uh, I think it was three part. Maybe I, I didn't personally watch it, but it was basically a series in which I think a school teacher runs for president in Ukraine and actually becomes president. I've heard about that. Yeah. And, and this guy is actually trying to do the right thing. And he's trying to be honest and he's trying to get rid of corruption and he's trying to get people to pay the taxes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so by the time the election came in 2019, people were kind of already used to seeing him in the role of president. And that's why he was able to defeat um, uh, President Poroshenko, who was totally discredited by that point. And he got 73% of the vote in the election in 2019. Wow. How how was, again, ignorance, how was Poroshenko discredited by then? It, it's a long and messy story. Mm -hmm. So uh, first of all, one of the things that Poroshenko discredited himself by was the fact that he didn't really offer any st strong resistance to what Russia was doing. Uh, there was all, there's also like a, loads of internal politics. Like basically, the difference uh, between Ukraine and Russia is Russia is run by one oligarch, Ukraine is run by a bunch of them, mm. right? And so there's all sorts of internal conflict and strife and people fighting for power and whatever. But Poroshenko had lost his way by that point. Okay. So to go back, take it back to Putin for a second. Mm. The other thing I've heard about this is that he he views this as uh, Ukraine as, as fundamentally something he has a right to yes. that Russia has a right to. Absolutely. Can, can you talk a little bit about the history there and why he would, and do you think that there's any merit to that? Well, uh, so it depends how you look at it, right? So uh, why, so let's again, steel man the position. The Russian, the Russian argument would be people in Eastern Ukraine speak Russian. People in Ukraine, some of them want to be part of Russia. Uh, Ukraine, that part of Ukraine from the east up to Kiev has always been part of the Russian Empire. Not always, but has been part of the Russian Empire in the past. Kiev is the birthplace of Russian civilization. Right. And 
anyway, this land used to be part of the Soviet Union and we're very similar people and we speak the same language and, and we used to be in control of this era. And Crimea was only given to the Soviet Ukraine by Soviet Russia in 1953 by Khrushchev and blah, 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 blah. That's that's the argument. Right. And we're going to take you under our wings. Uh, yes, exactly. That's that's the steel man version of the argument. And of course, you've got to remember from the video from Marty Carey that you watched mm -hmm. from the Finnish colonel, part of the Russian mythology, which goes back all the way to the beginning, is that the Russians, the Rus, are the head of the family of Slav people. Mm -hmm. Right. We are the elder brother of this grouping of peoples, and it is our job to look after them, to protect them. They're our responsibility. Right. That's the way that, 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 that from the Putin position that you would look at it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the steel man version of his argument. Okay. I mean, that's uh, what I've been, that, that's what I've been hearing. So I think right. that's being put out there. Yeah. So uh, now you can go that through each of those arguments. So uh, Kerry, are you in Texas now? I am. Yeah. So you will know that Texas used to be part of Mexico. Yes. And... Like nine other American states. Yes. Right. So is Mexico entitled to invade Texas and take it back? Not at all. Really? <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that people speak Russian, remember I mentioned at the beginning, people speak mm -hmm. Russian. All of my family in Ukraine are Russian speakers, right? Most of them don't support Ukraine becoming part of Russia. Most of them hate Putin and hate what he's doing. So this idea that all people who speak Russian want to be part of Russia is not true, right? Mm -hmm. Some people who speak Russian want to be part of Russia. And, and uh, I have people like that in my family as well. And their argument goes like this. Well, look, we were living, part, we were part of this big empire called the Soviet Union. We are Russian speakers. We're ethnic Russians for reasons of work or travel or whatever or study. We ended up in, in Ukraine and then the Soviet Union collapses and suddenly I'm supposed to say I'm Ukrainian. Right. And I have to live in this country, which now wants to have its own language and its own culture and wants to say that it wants to move in a Western direction. I don't want I want to go back to the Soviet Union. Mm. Right now, my argument is, well, if that's what you want, if you want to go back to Russia. It's right across the border. Right. You can go back to Russia. It's right there. Uh, you don't have to have Putin invade your country and make everyone else. About or you could dip diplomatically decide, right. right? There's a process of in which you could vote. Yes. Well, yes, that part is is where you get into difficulty because uh, this is what the Russians would argue. For example, in Crimea, when they annexed Crimea in 2014, they held a referendum, right? But how do you hold a referendum when it's just been occupied by a foreign power? Likewise, in Ukraine, people would go, well, look, yeah, you held the referendum, but this was in Ukraine, which was suppressing the Russian vote. And we didn't we weren't allowed to leave. Do you see what I mean? So there's a lot of mutual suspicion going on from both sides. But yes, I agree with you. For example, here in the UK, we have Scotland, which had a referendum in 2014 on whether it wanted to be independent of the UK. And Scottish people voted against that. Right. Mm -hmm. So that is a way to deal with it. But you've got to understand as well, Kerry, these are these are not Western style democracies we're talking about. Right. These are very corrupt countries with a long and difficult history. No proper democracy, really, even in Ukraine, which has moved in a democratic direction. Um, 
so so Russia has never had a single democratic transition of power ever ever in mm. its history Ukraine I would argue 2019 was probably the first free and fair election that like I mean some of the ones before in in the early noughties as well arguably were free and fair uh, certainly free and fairer than they were in in Russia uh, but so Ukraine has moved in a westward direction but my point is the idea that these are like western style democracies that can be trusted to have a legitimate referendum on stuff is a little bit ambitious you know mm -hmm. these are post soviet countries that have never had democracy in their history so you can't expect them to be able to deliver a, a referendum that everybody is going to respect in that way but i agree with you that would be the ideal way to solve those issues yeah mm -hmm. so so we we started with uh you know the idea that mexico doesn't get to invade Texas just because it used to be the Russian language thing and people wanting to reunite with the Soviet Union. I agree with you democratically, they should be able to vote for that uh, if they want to. But I, I don't think that ever happened in Ukraine. Um, and most of all, the fact that something used to be part of your land or that there are people there who speak a language does not entitle you to start a civil war to annex a part of their land and then invade, mm -hmm. in my humble opinion. Right. Uh, so to me, those arguments aren't particularly strong arguments uh, to say, well, this used to be I mean, you could re redraw every border on the map on that basis, couldn't you? Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of Calais, in, which is a port on the west coast of France, used to be part of, of the kingdom of England. Do, do we go and invade France? Mm. Right. I mean, all the, the two wars between uh, between. Uh, I mean, not the two wars, but all the conflict between France and Germany, which erupted into World War One and World War Two. Eventually, partly that was always uh, about the territory of Alsace-Lorraine, where they couldn't work out who it belongs to. So we kept having world wars over that. Is that how we want to be conducting ourselves? Right. Right. So, so I don't find those arguments persuasive. But challenge me if if you'd like. Well, no, I actually wanted to ask you about uh, like the Western response. Mm to this and do we have a role to play in this conflict at all or is it you know is it not our business because i kind of being from texas i've seen people making the argument why are we uh expected to get involved in this 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 conflict in another nation we have a problem with our own border we have our own problems that we're not addressing do you think that that western countries have um, a reason to stick our nose in this or, or, or where's that line? At what point does it become something that we need well, to be? Involved? See, the argument you've just made is a perfectly legitimate argument, which I respect. I don't agree with it in this instance for reasons I'll, I can explain, but the, you know, the idea that every country should look to itself first and protect its citizens and ensure their well-being. Uh, to me, that makes perfect sense. That's one of the reasons I oppose the war in Iraq. I oppose the war in Afghanistan. I oppose the war in Syria. I oppose the war in Libya, because I don't think the West should go go around throwing its weight invading countries, mm -hmm. deposing dictators, regime change. That's not our business, right? But what we're talking about here is very different because to me, the job of the, the American president and the job of the British prime minister is to do what's best for the country. Right now, the question is, what do we know about what Putin wants and what he wants to do further? Vladimir Putin has been very clear from the from the get go. He wants NATO to move back to its 1997 borders. What does that mean? That means that he wants Poland, the Czech Republic, 
Hungary, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, and every other country in Eastern Europe, which used to be part of the Warsaw Pact or the pro-Soviet bloc. He wants them all to leave NATO and to be so-called neutral. What does that mean? That means he wants puppet governments that are pro-Russia in all of those countries, right? In most of what we now call the European Union. Is that in the interest of Western Europe? And is that in the interest of the United States of whom the European Union is the, the Europe, Britain and Europe are the biggest allies? Is it in the interest of the United States to have an expansionist Russia moving its border further and further westward and becoming more and more powerful? With Vladimir Putin, who said we Russia never the Soviet Union never lost the Cold War because the Cold War never ended. Right. You want to let that guy take over all of Eastern Europe? Because to me, that isn't in the interest of the United States. Now, it's not I'm not a citizen of the United States and I'm not the decision maker of the United States. It's not for me to make that decision. If people in America are looking at this and going, look, I'm an isolationist. I think we should stay out of all foreign conflict. I totally respect that. I would ask, though, that they don't try to misrepresent what's happening in Ukraine in order to justify that position, because it's kind of become it's become a little bit impolite. It hasn't it, Kerry, to say, mm -hmm. well, I actually just think we should we should, you know, look, people are being killed or whatever. It's not our business. People right. don't want to say that. So they get into all this other conspiracy nonsense in order to go, well, Ukraine's just as bad, so we shouldn't get involved. Well, you don't need to say that. If you want to say America shouldn't get involved, I totally respect that. I completely mm -hmm. respect that. And I, I agree America shouldn't get involved militarily, right? Um it should definitely not get involved militarily, and neither should the West, frankly. Uh, but uh, in terms of help, in terms of providing weaponry and whatever, I don't believe it's in the interest of the United States to allow Russia to ram rampant in, in Eastern Europe. Um, that's my opinion. People can disagree with it. But that that's the reasonable, it's a reasonable discussion for people. Can so have. what do you support? Do you support the sanctions? On Russia? Uh, I, I think what you support really depends on what you where you're trying to get to, Kerry. So what is it that like what is it that you want in this situation? What do you want to achieve? Right. Well, I mean, are you asking me personally what I think should happen? What, what I'm saying is unless you ask me, unless you tell me what you want to happen, I can't tell you what to do. <laughs> do you if know the what I mean? US yeah, if the US wants to intimidate or or push Putin off to withdraw troops what should we be doing if if you want to to get putin to back down the, there's only one way to get him to back down which is for ukraine to win the war mm. he's not going to back down for any other reason um he, george keener who was uh, i think he was the ambassador to the soviet union he said russia is impervious to the logic of reason and very sensitive to the logic of power That makes sense to me. I'm just uh, watching some of his videos and with a translation. Hmm. It was interesting because I also turned the translation off at one point and was just watching him, just his body language. He's very dominant. He's very alpha. Hmm. Uh, oh, the Finnish colonel you're talking about, Marty Carey, yeah. Oh, no, that oh, guy. You're talking too. about Putin. Yeah, Putin. Putin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's a yeah. very uh, uh, confident, dominant type of hmm. person. Mm -hmm. and speaks with assurance and and i don't i don't think we have one of those right now no. <laughs> and not, so, not not in positions of power you don't know correct yeah yeah, yeah. 
so I think that's, I don't know. I think that not to go back to the, what we were talking about at the beginning, but I think, I think a lot of this might've been, and this is with very little knowledge, just my mm-hmm. gut and intuitively looking at our leader and looking at him. And after having watched some of his videos, I'm thinking, well, we look entirely weak. Like, yeah. what are we going to do? You yeah. know? Yeah. Well, in terms of the Russian mindset, Vladimir Lenin, uh, who, who, who led the Bolshevik revolution and created the Soviet Union, he said, stick your bayonet in. If it, if it stick the your bayonet, you know the bayonet, the, yeah. the blade you attach to the mm-hmm. end of a rifle. Stick your bayonet in. If it's soft, keep going. If it's hard, pull back. Yeah, exactly. that's how Russians think. That's how Russians think. That's how Putin thinks. So if you want Putin to pull back, Ukraine needs to win the war. So then well, that means you got to do what you got to do to to make that happen. If that's what you want. I had a couple of questions from the audience. Sure. As many that... as you want, Kerry, and the most provocative ones, if you want. I'm, okay. I'm very keen to answer. And I can go through some of the ones in the chat, too. Yeah, um, yeah, this was beforehand. Somebody was asking me, D- is it bizarre for you to see Boris Johnson visiting Ukraine and to see like citizens walking around like it's a normal shopping day? Uh, so uh, Kiev was never part of the area that was uh, disputed in any way. The Russians never got near Kiev. They they bombed it. They they hit it with a few cruise missiles, but it was never war zone. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the fact that people are walking around, I have friends who are walking around Kiev right now that I speak to on the phone every day. So no, that wasn't the shock to me. The fact that Boris Johnson went there was a big, it was a big dick move for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Boris Johnson has shown it's interesting because some people would say he's shown his true colors. I just think we got lucky because over COVID he broke his own rules so many times and had parties and in violation of lockdown and whatever that to him, this is a brilliant distraction. So I suspect the main reason he's being so strong on it is that it gives him something to, to divert the media's attention to. But, but if you, when I speak to people in Ukraine, they all universally say to me, next time you're on TV, tell the British people how much we appreciate their help. Tell Boris Johnson or tell the British people how much we appreciate what Boris Johnson is doing. Uh, you know, Britain has been our biggest ally. Please, 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 people tell uh, tell everybody that. So mm-hmm. it's a bit weird, but uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. Here's one from Jane. She says, what about the media coming out of the Ukraine? Mm. There was a video that was on social media of Ukrainian soldiers shooting Russian soldiers in the legs and beating them. Mm. Is that propaganda? I don't know. I don't know. the. I've seen that video. I don't know the veracity of it. I, I said this, uh, a very simple thing right at the beginning of the conflict, which is uh, I, I'm not going to comment on what alleged war crimes from either side because this is the important thing, Kerry. There's never been a war in the history of warfare that did not involve war crimes. Mm-hmm. They're going to happen on all sides. There's a video of a Russian soldier raping a toddler. There's all sorts of horrific things on there that you can see if you want to do. Um, at Nuremberg, they kind of made uh, made a very simple point about this, which is the crime that engenders all of the other crimes that happen in war is the crime of aggressive war. When you invade another country, and you you start a conflict. This is what happens. That does that. Am I justifying any war crimes by either side? No. Am I condemning war crimes on both sides? Yes. Right. But this is what happens when you get a war. So I'm not sitting here going, oh, the Ukrainians are these pure, wonderful people who've never done anything wrong. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is Ukraine's a country that's been invaded and is defending itself. Uh, and if the West 
wants to advance its own interest, there's ways to do that. And if it wants to let uh, Russia run roughshod over Eastern Europe, it can do that as well. It's it's about what you want to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one that's kind of a tangential, but Dan says it would be interesting to hear what Konstantin knows or thinks about Hunter in Ukraine and the links. Do you have any yeah. thoughts about that? Uh, I don't know much about it other than uh, from my understanding, Hunter Biden was employed and paid a very significant amount amount of money for working in a company whose business he didn't understand. Uh, So I don't know what exactly was happening there. Uh, This is par for the course for that part of the world. Uh, Very much par for the course for that part of the world. Uh, Russia, Ukraine, many other Eastern European countries are incredibly corrupt. All of this stuff is very normal there. What Putin did when he came to power in 1999 is he took a country that was even more corrupt than Ukraine and he just nationalized the corruption. So the corruption went from being a matter of private oligarchs fighting for power as they continued in Ukraine to all the oligarchs are now under Putin and they answered to him. Like oligarch became like a state appointed position. Right. Mm. So these are these are countries that are very corrupt. I don't know enough about it to comment with any sort of authority about Hunter Biden specifically. Can you talk about since you said anything in the most provocative stuff? Yeah. I saw a little bit of this back and forth between you and James Lindsay on Twitter. Yeah. I think yeah. I missed some maybe some of the incendiary parts, but I did see um I did see the end of it. And it, what do you think is happening there with the people who are have very good points about the culture wars mm. and can have sort of a big picture view of what they think is unfolding mm. in the West. Um, are, are, is it just that we're primed, like you said, primed to choose these two, this false dichotomy, these two options, or w- do you have a comment on that at all? Or do you not want to comment on it? Or uh, So look, first of all, I regret that James and I fell out. Uh, because when we did, a lot of people messaged me afterwards and said that, you know, he's mentally not in a very good place and, and blah, blah, blah. So if I'd known that, I would have uh, I would have conducted myself differently um, because, you know, I, I, I like James. I, I met him a few times. I respect him. I've got no issue with him. But what he was doing on Ukraine to me was deeply irresponsible. And I'm not prepared to be quiet about things like that. Um, so what he was saying is Zelensky is some kind of act that's trying to draw America into World War III. So some, I, I don't remember the details, but it was something you know, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and I think what's happening, it's that, Gary, it's that Nietzsche quote, isn't mm-hmm. it? When you stare yeah. into the abyss, the abyss also stares into you. And, and James has spent a lot of time fighting a lot of battles that I think have shaped his thinking in a way where he sees everything now as being part of the culture war and he interprets everything through that filter. I will admit that I do that sometimes. So yeah, I understand that because some of the stuff he says about Zelensky sounds like, well, maybe that's true. I I don't, I've gotten to a place where, uh, because again, to go back to, unfortunately, I'm not sure what to trust anymore. I don't trust my media. Yeah. And uh, things that I used to write off as conspiracy theory, some of those things turned out to be true. Yeah. And <laughs> and so sometimes now when I hear arguments being made, like, well, this is part of a bigger plan and this is related to the I Great Reset. And I totally get I'm it. like, 
well, what if it is? I have no idea what's. I totally get you know, it. The, yeah. And and frankly, if it wasn't for the fact that this is a situation I understand from the inside, I might have been right there with you on that train. Mm-hmm. But it just so happens that I'm not. Right. Because I have an understanding of the situation from the inside. So when I see people who couldn't find Ukraine on a map two weeks ago, now authoritatively commenting about the situation and misleading people at a time when it actually matters, I'm going to speak up about it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I think in terms of where all of this stuff is coming from, I think there are two things. So on the far left, as you well know, they hate the West. They always have. And this is a way to, someone is attacking the West, essentially. That's how they perceive this. So they're going to support that. Uh, on the right, I think uh, it's what we've just talked about. The me- And the mainstream media need to take, all the responsibility for this. It's not James's fault necessarily. It's just that the mainstream media have lied and lied and lied and lied and lied and lied and lied about everything for years and years and years and years. And they called everybody a Nazi and everybody a fascist. And if you didn't want to wear 73 masks, then you were killing granny and all of that nonsense. So people are skeptical. Uh, I agree with you completely. My concern with what James is doing is that at the same time as he's destroying people's conception of reality, He's not offering them a healthy alternative. He's not saying this is not true. This is true. He's just going, nothing you're being told is true. Mm-hmm. So w- what, gravity isn't true? Do we all jump out of a window now? Like some things are still true. Just because we've been lied to doesn't mean that nothing is true, right? Mm-hmm. So, And that's a big problem that we're all going to have to deal with. We have to navigate our way through this new world in which it's difficult to understand what is and isn't accurate. But I don't believe that destroying people's belief in reality in and of itself is conducive or helpful in the situation. So um, from my perspective, that's that's my issue with what James is doing. I have no issue with him as a person, but with what he's doing, uh, I, I'm starting to feel that it's not constructive. About and the Ukraine. About Ukraine. But, but frankly, uh, you know, I, I he blocked me a long time ago, so I don't know what he's posting now. But there was other things he was posting that would make me think um, that this isn't contributing to getting us to the place that I want to get to, which is for our countries to be less divided, less bickering, less violent, less angry, uh, less, uh, you know, going off the two deep ends on the left and the right. That's where I want to get to. I didn't feel that that's, that's what was happening. And a lot of people in the culture war... Uh, get into it for the right reasons and before they know it they've become the monster they were fighting mm-hmm. how do you stay balanced with being a person who keeps up with what's in the news and putting out your opinions and your perspective your idea about this crazy world that we find ourselves in right now how do you stay balanced you know it's funny when we had jordan peterson on, on trigonometry francis asked him how do you keep your cool uh, when all your head went all around you are losing theirs and jordan peterson said it's not evident that i am <laughs> uh, so yeah. I, I i think to claim that i've been able to be completely sensible and balanced on every issue what i i would say is i try to learn from my mistakes and one of the things i definitely realized is that while i am as anti the covid authoritarianism as i ever have been I think it was a mistake for me to in any way comment on any of the medical stuff related to COVID because mm. I'm not a doctor. 
right? So I can read and do my research and say this and that and whatever. But I think I do myself a disservice by commenting in public about things that I don't really understand. And so I think it's possible to oppose authoritarianism without then going into the medical side of things. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yes. That's why I haven't spoken really about Ukraine or Russia. Right. And I, I really respect that. And I know how hard that is as well, because you're going, oh, but all these people who are my friends and who I respect, they're going, oh, look at that. That tweet got 20,000 likes. Maybe I should like all that shit happens in your head. I know that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I just try to learn from my mistakes and I make mistakes all the time. But it just so happens that on this one issue, I just know stuff that most people don't. So it's been quite easy not to get carried away. And like I say, if, if it wasn't for that, I might be right there, you know, with James uh, talking about how Zelensky is, is whatever he is, you know. Well, and when I asked you that question, I should have phrased it. How do you try to stay balanced? Because right. it's a daily it's a daily trial. Like, what is yeah. your practice? Yeah. Um, well, I try to surround myself with people who uh, who challenge my worst instincts and incentivize my best instincts. Mm hmm. And my worst instincts are impulsivity. I think all of our worst instincts are becoming impulsivity thanks to social media. Um, and so the fact that I work as part of a team with Francis and our executive producer, Anton, that helps us keep each other sane because instead of getting more and more into, oh, we all think this, so we must think it even more than we did yesterday, we're actually trying to hold each other accountable and go, well, are you sure about that? Is that really true? Can we can we really go on, on live on air and say this? You know, mm -hmm. um, getting COVID was very helpful. Was very also. helpful because I had a very badly um, and Francis even worse. Francis was coughing up blood and had to go to hospital and all that. So having spent. Uh, and that was the second time we had it. So for a year, we were like, well, look, we've got natural immunity, natural immunity, natural immunity. And then we got COVID and we're like, oh, shit, maybe it's not as maybe it didn't last as long. Or maybe, you know, when we talk about a mild disease, what that experience showed me is what we mean by mild disease is, well, for some people, it's very mild. And the first time I got COVID, it, like I had the OG COVID in back in like February 2020. I got it fresh off the boat. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah fresh off the boat, a guy had just come off a plane in China, went into, we didn't even know what COVID was then, went into a cubicle the size of, of my little office here. And we're, <coughs> sorry, I've just come back from China. I got a bit of a cough, so don't shake my hand. And then next day, Francis and I both got ill. Wow. But I had a very mild. So I thought when people were talking about what COVID is a mild disease for people my age and my health, what they meant is it's like, it's like, it's not even like a bad cold. But then I realized after having it quite badly, well, what they mean by a mild disease is you don't go to hospital. You don't go on a ventilator. You don't die. So it just took a little bit of that arrogance off me. Now, I'm, I'm, I've had flu worse than the bout of COVID that I have, even though it was, it was awful, mm -hmm. right? But it just helped to go, okay, maybe just slow down a bit on this. Like, do you really know what you're talking about? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so that we was helpful. We had a moment, my husband and I, because we had it, he had it pretty bad. He had it worse than I did, but we, I, I think I know who gave it to us too. Isn't that mm. funny that, you know, it's that guy. We had a, we went to see Chrissy Mayer, the comedian performing, and she got it right after this. That's why I'm convinced we all got it from the right. same person. One of, one of my husband's friends was there. Actually, we were at my husband's show. That's what, that's what we were at. And Chrissy came and 
this guy had just gotten off a plane from Greece. He and his family had been on vacation there. And he was talking to us and he's one of the people that spits when he talks. And mm. my husband was like, it was like slow-mo. I saw his spit like coming and landing on me. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you've been and on You can't even wipe it, can you? Because that's no. not light. Like, I'd rather have the COVID. I, <laughs> I just don't want to no. offend anyone. No. But so, yeah, that being being that sick will take a lot of arrogance, I guess, from me because it's yeah. sort of, yeah, I am, yeah. I am a, a prisoner of this frail body. Yeah. And it reminds you of your mortality and all everything. Yeah. And but, also, you know, you got to also, I think, uh, you got to remember as well, we're all in a constant process of evolution. It's okay to think this thing today. Like you talked to this guy and he told you Zelensky was a massive Nazi lover or whatever. And you probably thought, well, I bet there's some truth to that. This guy seems credible. And now you talk to me and you might take some of what I say and go, well, that seems credible. And then three weeks from now you talk to someone else and, and you modify your opinion. The thing that makes it difficult is if you take what this guy told you and then go tweet about it. Right. Right. It becomes more difficult to then track back to backtrack on it and to go, right. well, he told me this, but I actually have got this information and constant told me this, but now I've got this other information. You can't really backtrack, which is why I think it's wise not to comment on things that you don't understand. And that's definitely something I'm going to be practicing more. Uh, going forward that's one of the things i learned yeah so so what is what are the different opinions between you and your father and you said i can mm. give you the russian perspective oh, sure. the ukrainian okay. perspective and my perspective yeah well so the russian perspective and uh, this will sound strange to american viewers but the russian perspective is this russia keeps getting invaded every century from every direction by the Mongols, by the Poles, by the Swedes, by the Finns, by the Lithuanians, by by uh, by Germany, by France, by Napoleon, by Hitler, like by everybody. And if you open a map of Russia and look at it, the Ural Mountains, uh, they're pretty close to Russia's western border, but nearly 80% of Russia's population and all of its big population centers are in that small part of the country. And if you remember from that Marty Carey video that I sent you, that part of the country is flat. There are not many big mountains there. There are not many big rivers there. So essentially, that part of the country contains all the wealth of Russia, you might say. Not the resources and whatever, but like 80% of the population, all the industrial areas, all the big cities, etc. And it's extremely vulnerable to invasion. All right. And Russia does not perceive the United States in the way that you and I might, which is this benevolent hegemony in the world that's looking out for Western values and democratic values. Russia sees America as the evil enemy who is coming to destroy them, right? Mm -hmm. So from a Russian perspective, not this is not how every Russian thinks, but this is what the, the Putin thinking is that my dad would tell you. Uh, is, look, the, the Americans are getting closer. NATO keeps expanding, right? Uh, and by the way, this land was always our land anyway, right? And the Americans are distracted. Why wouldn't we, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union, as Vladimir Putin said, was the ge greatest geopolitical disaster in the in the 20th century, bigger than World War II, right? Wow. So he's not happy. It's like, you know, imagine America lost 20 of its states. Some people would want them back, wouldn't they? Right. I think if I think if Texas ever left, they would want us back. 
Right, exactly. And so if there was an opportunity to recapture that and these people speak the same language and there's a shared culture and Russian and Ukrainian people are very similar in culture. They read the same fairy tales to their kids. They eat mostly the same type of food. You know, they look similar, all of that stuff. You put all that together and you got to remember as well in Russia, no one gives a shit about, you know, democracy, borders, human rights or any of that. It's very real politic. We want more land. We want more power. We want access to the Black Sea. We want the Crimean Peninsula to be ours so we can control it and not let the Americans have a naval a base there. We want to expand our land. You know, we want to push the Americans and the West out of Eastern Europe where they where they don't belong. This is their argument. Okay, so and your dad shares that view. Yeah. And so and so, what is the what is your view? How is it distinct from that? And is it the Ukrainian view or it's how, how does it? My differ? view, my view is not the Ukrainian view. My view is I don't think Russia gets to invade countries because they, that part of that land used to be their country mm-hmm. in the same way that Mexico doesn't get invade to invade Texas or Britain doesn't yes. get to invade France. Right. That's my view. Uh, and the other thing is as well, you've got to understand that Ukrainian society wanted to move in a westward direction from the moment it split off from the Soviet Union. My grandfather, who was a Russian speaker all his life, the first thing he did started learning Ukrainian. My aunt, his the, the eldest of his daughters, uh, she speaks, she'll forgive me for saying this, terrible Ukrainian, but she still speaks it because she wants the country to move in a westward direction. Uh, you know, it's a funny story, hard to imagine probably for an American audience, but in Ukraine, in the Soviet Union, we didn't really have double glazing until after the Soviet Union collapse. You know what double glazing double is? Double glazing, what is that? Double glazing is windows where you have two slabs of glass instead of one, okay. so it traps the air inside and, and it's it's much better for insulation. We didn't right. have that, right? And when, after the Soviet Union collapsed, they, the double glazing first started becoming available uh, in, in Ukraine. Do you know what they called it? What? Euro windows. Uh. Right? Everything that's European was seen as being good, was seen as being sophisticated, was seen as being more developed. And in every election since 1991, the country voted more and more for leaders who were more pro-Western, pro-Ukraine becoming more Western, right? Uh, Ukraine had a democracy that was sort of functioning-ish, unlike any other country in the former Soviet Union, except Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, which were never really uh, properly part of the Russian Empire anyway. They were annexed like Western Ukraine in, in 1941 by Stalin. Um, so it, it's just um, the country was moving in a westward direction. And yes, Russia isn't going to like that. But does Russia get to invade countries and murder thousands of people because mm-hmm. it doesn't like its neighbor becoming orientated against what it considers the enemy? I don't I don't buy that argument. I don't see I don't see why that that, that should be the case. Uh, it's mm-hmm. up to it's up to the Ukrainian people to decide what direction their government takes, and it's up to them to elect the leaders that they want. Now, people are going to talk about how the Americans orchestrated a coup in 2014. I was there. Now, I'm sure the Americans wanted Ukraine to move in a westward direction, as they want every country to move into a democratic western direction. Um, but in 2019, when Zelensky was elected, that was a completely free and fair election. And by the way, 73% of the vote he got in total. He got most of his votes from eastern, central, and southern Ukraine. In other words, from the parts that Putin is telling you are pro-Russian, right? Wow. Poroshenko got the votes from western Ukraine, right? So Zelensky was actually the less pro-Western candidate 
at least in the perception of the people of Ukraine. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. That's... So my, my point being is the Ukrainian people on balance, not all of them, there are some people who are vehemently against it, as there are some people who are vehemently against stuff in America and some people vehemently pro stuff in America, right, on different issues. But on balance, the Ukrainian nation has been moving in a westward direction since 1991. And so the fact that this is happening is a reflection of the fact that Ukrainians, quite sensibly, don't want to, most of them, don't want to go back to living in the Soviet Union, don't want to go back to living under dictatorship as Russian people are now living in. Mm -hmm. This is interesting because when I was talking earlier about how, you know, Putin's talked about Western degeneracy and he's yeah. invoking the culture wars and stuff. I think that it's, there's a really, uh, it's a, there's an opportunity there for him to say, you know, becoming more Western, becoming more European is a bad thing because of what's happening culturally in the oh, West. Oh, absolutely. I need, to, and, well, they've been stoking those fires for, for decades. Do you know what they call Europe? in russia so the russian word for europe is europa and they call it gay europa oh what does that mean i'm just kidding gay europe <laughs> i'm kidding <yeah. laughs> right? that's what they call it okay for, for for many of the reasons that you and i would agree are going overboard right all of this trans ideology and all this other stuff i don't agree with it mm -hmm. and I, I you and i are both pushing back against it right yeah. but but that Putin doesn't care about Ukraine moving westwards because he wants to pretend, protect Ukrainian children from gender ideology, right? Let's not pretend that that's happening. Mm. Right? This is just a way to push your buttons in the West. That's all that it is. Um, I have a couple more questions for you mm. here. And then mm. if you don't mind, do you to have a few more minutes with you? I could read Absolutely, some of these Absolutely, yeah. I've got cool. lots of time. Go for it. Uh, Dan, thank you for the super chat. Says Carrie and Constantine, you're fired. Does Constantine know about Friday Night Tights? Do you know about Friday Night Tights? Do you ever watch that show? No. It's a great show. You should go on sometime. They do. It's they they talk a lot about the culture wars, but they specifically are coming from the entertainment perspective. It's a lot of gamers and comic book guys, and mm. uh, it's on neurotic anyway. Right, right, right. Great show. Let's see. I think there was one more. Um. While I'm finding this next one, one of the questions on my list from a fan, from Joe, was, what is your favorite home-cooked Russian food? Oh. I mean, we make incredible cakes. Okay. I didn't know You know, that. Ru Russian, uh, <laughs> Russian food, there's so many things that we make that are good. Uh, Russian salads are very good. Like that thing you call Russian salad or Russian dressing, that's, you know. It's not quite the real thing. It's not it. You know, I tell you what, there's something that you probably wouldn't think isn't good is something called haladets, which is, uh, I'll tell you how you make it. You're definitely not going to want to try it. But you basically take some, you take some uh, pork trotters, you boil What's, them. Uh, you know what pork trotters? What's a trotter? A trot, the, what, what do you call in American English, the tip of a pig's foot? Uh, the hoof? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> pig's well, feet. Well, in the South, we just call them pig's feet. Pig's feet. Pig's feet. Okay. All right. So you take uh, a pig's foot, you boil it for about eight hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and then you make that into a jelly into which you put some other meat. And it's like jellied meat, basically. And you have it with horseradish. Uh, you usually have it around New Year's and stuff like that. I love it. It's good. It's, it's, it's very bad for me. Very bad for you. But I love it. Just, it's cool. you got to uh, try it once. 
Okay. I'll try, I'll try any kind of food once in the, in the South we make us, uh, it's called a salad, but it's, it's actually, it's called congealed salad. Have you heard of right. this? I haven't, it's, but it sounds similar. It's similar, except it's not, there's no meat in it, but you basically, they take jello and then they suspend fruit in it and whipped cream and, and oh, stuff. Okay. And right, yeah, right. that's a, that that's good. a, yeah, that's yeah, pretty uh, here's one from Zathros. He says, Constantine Carey from this Polish watcher, and I mean it with my whole heart in this age of nihilism. You're in the hand of God having this talk, whether you believe it or not. I struggle with it myself. A ray of hope. Zathros, thank you very much. Zathros is a, is a fan of trigonometry as well. She watches us and supports us. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for watching. That's very kind. Um, and then let's see. I think we had one more. I don't have Pirate Tomsky helping me put these on screen today, so I've got to find them. Here we go. TPS. Thank you, sir. He says, I've had the same view. Beyond sovereign nations should not be invaded. I know nothing and have no opinion. Mm. Look, we should probably explore the counter argument to, to all of this, because I, I think uh, we do we do ourselves a disservice if we didn't. The counter argument to what I'm saying about that. Essentially, this is an argument about national sovereignty, right? Every country has the right to decide what, what happens. The counter argument to this is... Um, the world isn't run by independent nations, Kerry. The world is run by empires. It's run by the American empire, it's run by mm -hmm. the Russian empire, and it's run by the Chinese empire, and possibly the Indian one coming up. And also, you could also argue the two Islamic uh, civilizations are also involved, although there's no empire there at the moment. Uh, and so all of this stuff about how independent countries have the right to make their own decisions, that's kind of like, you know, it's for the birds. Actually, the real hardcore real politic is these nations are in constant competition with each other. And when the Soviet Union sent uh, nuclear missiles to Cuba in 1962, the Americans weren't, weren't like, well, hey, Cuba has its sovereignty. If he wants to place Soviet nuclear missiles on its territory, they can. Right. This is the John Marshall argument. Um, and the, there is some truth to it. Um, but I, I think also what that misses is personality matters. Boris Yeltsin, who was president before Vladimir Putin, never would have done this, mm. right? Uh, Putin never would have done this until he got as strong as he did. The reason he's doing this now is he feels strong and he feels that the West is weak. Uh, so, yes, of course, there's a geopolitical struggle going on. And as someone who lives in the West, I want the West to, to be victorious and dominant in that struggle. Uh, partly, but partly also, I just want Ukrainian sovereignty to be respected. I don't think people in Ukraine deserve to die because uh, they want to live in a democracy. I'm I'm like TPS who gave us that super chat. Mm. I'm I absolutely agree. I don't believe sovereign nations should be invaded. I think the invasion is wrong. I guess my questions, a lot of them swirled around the stuff we've talked about, who to trust, yeah. the history, a lot of what you're calling like the the smears, the Nazi. Uh, pejoratives and things like that. Well, and remember, I said also, I said that there's yeah. a kernel of truth. What they are is exaggerations designed to smear. I'm not. That's that's what most lies are. I think based in they of take course. a kernel because that's good how ones, you sell the it. Effective ones. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You take you... that kernel of truth and then get it out yeah. there. Pirate Tomsky, there he is. Says great convo, guys. What Pan is that? It's a reference. <laughs> so uh, it's it's it'll take a long to explain, but basically part of the of the uh, banter of trigonometry. Do you have? Do you know what banter means? I do know what banter means. Yeah. yeah. So part of the banter of trigonometry is me uh, fat shaming Francis. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> and, and so the, the, the weight that he carries around his midsection, we call that his pancetta. <laughs> Uh, one more from Human Kirk. He says, this conversation is a godsend. Thanks to both of you. Thanks, Human Kirk. I think I have, I think I'm caught up now. Uh, oh, Carrie, you heard KK's origin of political correctness. Gee, I have Carrie, not... you haven't even asked me about my upcoming book yet. Um, I'm going to ask you about your upcoming oh, oh, book. Oh, are you now? And your upcoming, <laughs> your upcoming baby. Yes. Uh, so... I'm not well, selling that. But let's talk about the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, let me ask you about the baby first and then the book. Yeah, go. I'm so joking. Ask me about the baby. You go do have a baby on the way. It is your yes. first. Yes. And what fears do you have about the world that your child is being born into like five, 10 years down the road? Yeah. I'm not happy about all of this gender stuff that's happening in schools. Uh, and I know it's been highlighted very much in America. Um, and we, we covered the story on trigonometry only a few days ago about uh, a theater here in the UK is putting on a play for five-year-olds called the family sex show at one point in which everybody on stage is entitled to take as much clothes off as they wish, including up to the point of being completely naked. Okay. Yeah. I had not. Heard and I'm just like, you know, I'm a very tolerant guy, but at that point I'm just like, get the flamethrower. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's a concern. But also, Kerry, I also think it's very, very important, particularly. And this is how I feel particularly, I think, since my wife became pregnant is we ought to retain a belief in our ability to win this fight. And who knows whether my child is not going to be one of the people that finds the answer to those questions. Right. That's what I'd like to happen. Right? Well, otherwise, what the hell is the point of bringing them to the world? Yeah. Well, so so this just this another guy watches sits all day there eating junk food and watching porn. Like that's not that's not who I'm trying to bring into the world. I think, you know, we all have a duty and a responsibility um, to ourselves try to make the world a better place and to help our children learn to do that. That is their goal as well, right? So I have concerns about the way the direction of the world is is changing and going, but that's why I wrote my book and that's why. I do trigonometry. I, I believe it can be changed. If I didn't believe it could be changed, I'd just go and live on an island somewhere, you know, and, you know, grow my own food and ignore civilization. What's the point, right? No, no, we're going to win this fucking fight. We're going to win this fucking fight. All of us are going to win this fight. Uh, and uh, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do to make that happen. I know you will. I know lots of other people are going to do that. Uh, and we're going to do it from the sensible position of not going off to either deep end. Uh, and I, I hope that uh, by the time that my children are adults or by the time they are really experiencing the world, it is a better one. And I'm going to do what I can to make, to make it into that. I've got another one here from you. Human Kirk says, KK, I loved your Andrea. Can you say that word? I can't. Andrei Ilarionov. I love that interview. And I also have had the uh, Marshmallow. Lecture. Yeah. Why don't you just read my super chats <laughs> autoplayed yeah. by YouTube to me over a hundred times? Is this FSB's hand? You know, Kermit Kirk, that's probably one of the points I actually disagree with Andre about. He sort of Im Im implied or indicated that he thought YouTube was like suggesting those videos for people to watch because they wanted people to get that perspective. YouTube's algorithm, I think, just makes you uh, makes you watch stuff that's popular 
and when the initial invasion happened people were like looking for answers and one of the answers people were desperately looking for is that this is the west's fault for the reasons that we already discussed right kerry the mm. far left hate the west and the right wing they want to they want to take the side of the person who's attacking the west because they hate the western elites and the western media so much and i think that's why that video became very popular and that's probably why it's been recommended to you so many times human code joe foster just says two of my favorites great conversation comrade cam time on so on trigonometry raw we have what we call a comrade cam where i put on the soviet hat and started talking like this so hello thank you very much for money we appreciate it because we have no sausage <laughs> you need to bring in a southern character though because you did pig's feet pretty well all right so. oh, oh, oh we have that all the time so basically <laughs> yeah. anytime somebody reads something in an american accent it is always like this it don't matter if it's from <laughs> new york or oregon or whatever it is that you're all from texas we all Greatest state like in the union What's up with what's up with the Black Sea access to Mediterranean in this conflict? Is this a plausible factor in Putin wanting Odessa? Uh, Odessa, no. Uh, Crimea, yes. Uh, now, of course, if the, the the point of Odessa actually is, is yes, of course, it's a port on the Black Sea, but I don't believe there's any sort of military particularly um, essential reason for him to have it. But what it does is it cuts Ukraine completely off from the sea if he can take Odessa. And also there's a part of a country called Moldova, which is on Ukraine's Western border in which there's a small breakaway region called Transnistria, which is pro-Russian. So if he can connect all of that, he can also then attack Moldova and take part of its territory as well. I'm so glad I have you here to talk to me about this because you, you just know so much. Well, maybe about not it. attack, like, but like encourage yeah. them to join or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, hey, it's Amy Baker Lana with basically, you know what you've done, Terry. You've basically taken all our fans and monetized them. <laughs> well done. Congrats. So, all this money could have been going to trigonometry. No, it could have been going to trigonometry. Emmy, hello, says fabulous combo. Yes, we're in it to win. Otherwise, what is the point? There's not enough islands to flee to. Correct. I agree. I wouldn't be, I don't understand people who are nihilists about it because um, people talk about being blackpilled and stuff. And it's sort of, well, I mean, I guess if, if I have if I have to pick a pill, I'm white pilled, but I'm white pilled because I was black pilled first. I do mm. think things are going to get much worse. I think they have to necessarily mm. Mm. to for more people to wake up in terms of the yes. culture war anyway. Agree. Um, Agree. People have to feel pain. They have to feel economic repercussions. There's going to have to be hard times, like harder than now, I think. Mm. But I think it'll get better after that. And if I didn't, then what's the point? Like you said, what's the point of doing any of this or right. talking to people or trying to have conversations or even talking about what's wrong with the culture right. if you don't think you can fix it? Yeah. Well, the pendulum swings and we're the people that are making it swing or slow down at least. Yeah. So let's keep going. Okay. I think I'm through with all the super chats. Uh, I'm going to just put this up here. Pirate Tomsky says you can follow Constantin here. He's got a link to you on true. Twitter. So tell us about your book. And when is it coming out? So the book is, thank you for mentioning, Kara. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. Uh, okay. So uh, the book is called An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West. And it's basically all about all the stuff that you and I have just talked about, which is why the West is great, why we should stop doing ourselves down, why it's important to remember the context of many of the things for which it's now fashionable to beat ourselves up over. Um, you know, even things like slavery, for example, I talk about my grandfather being a slave. I talk about my grandmother being born in a Soviet concentration camp, right? This was happening 
all around the world at once. It wasn't unique to the United States. There were some differences with the Atlantic, transatlantic slave trade that made it worse in some ways, uh, but it's not as bad as, for example, what the Muslim slave traders were doing in Africa at exactly the same period of time. And those slave traders only ended the slave trade because the Western nations forced them to, right? Mm. Now, these are things most people in the West don't know. So uh, I'm just putting uh, I, what I think is a very strong case for why we should remember that we are the most progressive people in the history of humanity, yeah. the most free, the most prosperous, um, and uh, that we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a lot that is great about the West. There's a beacon of light to many people around the world, and we've got to keep the flame of freedom uh, and openness going because otherwise it's Putin's and Xi Jinping's all the way down. I love, because it sounds like you're taking a very positive tact like your your book has this positive outlook and i've been reading a lot about the culture wars a lot of different books that have sort of they're necessary they're telling what mm. the problems are like here's mm. what's wrong here's mm. what woke is about but i've i've been waiting for that sort of where are we going what are we even fighting for so that's what that sounds like where where can people find you if so they it's want already one? available to pre-order on to pre-order on amazon it's called an immigrant's love letter to the west and yeah it is i mean i do chronicle some of the, or the bad stuff i talk about some of the things that you know someone who goes on tv and radio and stuff in the media in this country regularly i, I talk about a few of the things that happen behind the scenes that i think will shock people as well uh, but I'm also trying to say that, look, I first generation dark skinned immigrant, I'm saying all these things so that you can be OK to hear them rather mm -hmm. than just thinking them in your head and knowing that they're true, but being terrified to speak your mind. Uh, so uh, that's what I want to do. I want to give people permission to see things for what they are and to be clear about what's happening in the West and why uh, and, and to rediscover our confidence. The thing that troubles me the most, Kerry, is. You know, I used to, even as a kid, watch American media, American comedy, American politics. And you would hear all the time, 10, 15 years ago, this is American. This is America. This is un-American. This is, this is not how we do things in America. This is not how we do things in Britain. You don't really hear that anymore. Mm -hmm. It's because, At least I don't. You know, I, I don't hear many people going, this is un-American. And, and to me, that's, that sort of signifies a kind of loss of faith in your own values. Uh, and that bothers me. And I think we need to rediscover. We need to remember what our values are so we can say, well, locking everybody in their homes for two years is un-American. Yes. Right? Yes. I remember saying that at the beginning of the lockdowns with a, a, a friend who unfriended me. <laughs> I thought I thought all my unfriending was done when I left Woke, mm -hmm. but there was some mm -hmm. more to come with the lockdown stuff. Right. right. Um, but it, it I, to me, it just seems... In, the, in this instinctual level, it's deeply un-American to tell people they can't go to work, that they can't go out and provide for their families, that they have to sit at home and wait for the government right. to yeah. give them a stipend. Yeah. Um, and it's not part of your system. Like in in, yeah. in in Western Europe, there's more of a communitarian approach. Sorry about this. Someone is desperately okay. trying to get in the house. Um, there's more of a communitarian approach. Um, and because of that, we we are more open to like okay we'll all do the thing that we need to do and the government will help us but you guys have a different system you're like you're free to pursue your dreams and the government needs to get the hell out of your way right yeah. and so you should be okay to say something is un-american and I'll not just you... about lockdown about lots of things about the stuff that's happening around free speech you know you know many things yeah it's it's un-american it's also it's un-texan which mm. offends me more <laughs> 
<laughs> so, anyway. so thank you so much for being here today, Constantine. Uh, I, I wonder if you could end with just something that you're, that gives you joy that you're looking forward to, if you would share something with us. Well, you know what? It's going to sound really like cringe and, and whatever, but uh, being about to have this baby really has changed my outlook on a lot of things. It's a weird thing. Um, it's a weird thing. And I never thought it would happen. And I used to hate the people who would bang on about it endlessly. Like, Shut up. No one cares about your baby. And and you're right not to. But also it just, it's given me a, a different frame for looking at things, I think. And I think that's possibly where it's, it's an almost like it's an anti-nihilism device, I think. It's Because you're like, well, things aren't great, but I they better get better because I've got this little thing to 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 look after. You know what I mean? So I'm gonna do what I can to to make the world a better place. That's how I feel. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for that. Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing with us and thanks for hanging out today. Um, there's one final one. Carrie, you need to knit KK a get in the camp cap for his little bigot. <laughs> <laughs> so we call our fans bigots. Uh, basically, uh, and get in the camp is a phrase that we uttered uh, during lockdown a hell of a lot when we were like satirizing what was happening in Australia. Mm -hmm. We'd be like, get in the camp, you can. Um, there are quite a few knitters in the chat today, you should know. So uh, don't be surprised if, if you do get one of those in the mail then. Yeah, well, <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but guys, there are lots of people sending stuff to a PO box. Actually, if you're on our locals, my wife made like a shopping list for the baby. And if you want to, if you want to do something, please go there. Otherwise, we're going to get 10 of the same things, um, which we'll appreciate, of course, but they just won't get used. So if you want to send us something, please just um, go to our locals. It's on there as a pin post and you, you can pick something out and we'd be very grateful. But not asking for that at all. It's just people threat. Basically, people made my wife make a list for our supporters because they were like, mm -hmm. otherwise, you're going to get 100 of the same thing. And we're yeah. all going to send you one. And they keep saying, remember, it's our baby, too. <laughs> well, if somebody's hand making something though, they're like, well, I'm going to hand make this anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, well, thank you, Constantine. Everybody, uh, we're going to put in the, since I had to restart the link, we'll have to put uh, links to where they can find you in this video. Um, have a nice day, guys. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah.